In this episode, we speak with Maxim Milamadov, the CEO of Zesty, which has developed the next generation of cloud management solutions. Maxim came to Zesty from a prior career in Homeland Security and is a veteran of the Israeli Air Force. Zesty helps cloud engineering teams to slash cloud costs, maintain perfect app performance, minimize the hassle of managing infrastructure, and fully realize the true flexibility of the cloud. The company has raised over $116 million since its founding and is backed by B Capital, Sapphire Ventures, and other notable investors. I'm your host, RJ Lumba. We hope you enjoy the show. If you like the episode, click the subscribe. RJ Lumba is the managing partner of GrowthCap and the executive chairman of Market Insight Media. He is the host of Growth Investor, a podcast featuring today's best investors, executives, and founders. In the minutes ahead, we'll uncover insights and strategies for accelerating growth and succeeding in business. Maxime, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. It's a delight to be with you. Hi, Arjun. Thank you for having me. So where I'd like to start off is looking at your company and the number of customers you have that you've quickly ramped up on. It seems like the common feedback is the tremendous amount of savings they get from using Zesty solution. Can you tell us about how they're able to get that immediate savings on their tech costs? So they can just stop guesstimating and when you're operating in the cloud, while the biggest consumption of your cloud infrastructure is your production, that is by design dictated by your customers, engineers are actually struggling to predict what the business will require at any given time. And they're focusing on guesstimation. What Zesty comes and says, well, you shouldn't. You can put it on autopilot. We have a better prediction because we use tremendous amounts of data points and we can actually act in a significantly higher frequency than any human being and make the exact decisions you would have made if you would have the ability to receive process and take decisions so fast. So we mimic your work, but on steroids. And when you go and actually tell him what we are doing, like, yes, I get it. This is what I do all the time, but we cannot get today to that frequency of making decisions. So for those of us who are not like deeply technical, does this have to Mm -hmm. do with load balancing or is it like there's moments where there's peaks of activity and you're able to somehow level that or control the costs Mm -hmm. on those? On the contrary, if you would level your peaks, it means that you are actually sacrificing your user experience. And this is the last thing any company wants to do. We are not at any given point want to risk the user experience or our customers. So we need to make sure that at any peak, we're able to give them the exact capacity at the exact performance that they need. The question is, what do we do when the peak is over? Are we remaining to be ready for the peak and paying for that buffer? Or we're saying we can scale back, we can shrink our cloud footprint and scale again just before the upcoming peak. And the just before is something that Zesty can do. We can calculate and we can scale ahead of time. And once the peak is over, we can bring back and actually enable you to stop paying for the resources you don't need to pay further. 
So we're able to conceptually mimic your behavior, but also capture the savings. That's tremendous. So given these days, these times, almost every business is using the cloud and they probably have this volatility in their usage. Which sectors or which types of businesses do you find are most apt to adopt your solution? I would have to say it's really agnostic. We have companies from B2B startup ecosystem. We cater financial institutions. We cater TV channels. We cater food chains. It is less relevant towards the sector or the segment. It becomes relevant when the company has a large enough cloud footprint and they understand that they need to drive business efficiency. It's pretty impressive how you've grown since founding the company in 2019. You did a few capital raises. Obviously, you're bringing on customers in an accelerated fashion. Taking us back to the earlier days of the business, when did you know you had product market fit and you knew it was something that would sustain and continue to build? I would say it was around 2018 before we even started the company. What we did is we actually looked at the psychology and philosophy and said what humans are always going to prioritize. And the answer was, we all care about our time, right? So if we can build a system that can save time to people, they would embrace it because you are not going back and calling cabs. You have Uber, you have Lyft, right? This is not something you will be happy to pass. You save a lot of time. The second element that wasn't quite relevant up to 2022 or less relevant was money. We predicted that the markets will change because paying 0% interest in the last 14 years, it's not something that we believed will remain forever. We believe that at one point, there will be an inflection point where interest rates will increase. So if we can combine saving of time and money, this is a strong play where we'll create a company that will win, will be sticky, will be valued at any given point throughout the journey on the markets. And once we realize that, well, we can save both time and money, on cloud infrastructure because it's not that efficient and we can craft that feature set. And if we craft that capability of prediction and automation, we're able to do both. We're able to save time because we're able to predict and automate. And by having those actions, we're also able to save money. Those were the double checks that we needed to say, well, you know, it's time to go. And since then, we are running. Now, the product market fit is one thing, and then there's actually scaling and operating the business and building an organization. You know, your background, I think, early on was in the Israeli Air Force. Did that have some bearing on your ability to organize a team? What do you attribute your ability to scale an organization to? The fundamentals of human interaction, I would say, you have trust you need to have respect you need to have a common goal and you need to have an honest i would say even blunt feedback to your partners where if you have trust if you have respect and you have a common goal the feedback will always be assumed of best intentions right 
And if you have all those three elements between partners, it can work. We're making sure that this is our management style. This is our company's culture to have all those four in place. And the last piece that you have there is ego. If you have ego, none of the above will work. So it's coming to a room and saying, I can only be the smartest person for a very short time in this room because I expect other people to know better. And enabling and hearing what people think and embracing their ideas and saying that's awesome and learning, that creates the collective genius that enables scale. Mm -hmm. Would you say that that leadership was developed over time throughout your career or is it something you've read a lot about leadership and you try to put into practice the things you really internalize? Like, how did you develop your style? So I, first of all, um, coming from a family of entrepreneurs, of owners that worked with partners, and I saw how critical the partnership between business partners becomes. And when I served six and a half years in the army, I understood that it doesn't have to be only business. Those fundamentals apply to other types of relationships as well. And it's, it's actually, again, operating on human basics. And once you have that thesis and you try it out in different places and you actually get validation that, well, there is a big chance it works, you give it a try in another aspect. You add the business element in it. I'd like to touch on something in that you're an Israeli company. For those in our audience, everyone is very well familiar with the number of great tech companies coming out of Israel and almost disproportionate to the population. What do you think it is about Israel that engenders this environment of entrepreneurship, of deep technology, et cetera? I would say the survival instinct, it's kind of ingrained into the Israeli mindset. If you look at Israel, it's a country that exists 75 years. It was built by Holocaust survivors. And since inception, we are, I would say, constantly in a war mode. The vast majority of Israelis served in the army and participated either in an operation or in a war or were responsible for protecting human lives by making sure that the technology that we have developed such as an iron dome is constantly operational. So thinking without any box making sure that you need to do the fundamental aspect of survival puts on one hand a lot of stress, but on the other hand, it drives creativity. So you have startups that are coming out and making sure that we can scan underneath the surface. We have companies who are doing amazing things on cybersecurity, and it's constantly evolving around deep tech that was built for military that enabled our survival. If you have to look at the tech in general, a lot of the things that are common to us today, the internet, the GPS, was actually invented during the Cold War. So it was military tech that adjusted to the public market. This is something Israel is investing a lot in. Let's switch gears into, you did, I think, three rounds of funding, each getting significantly larger than the one previous. And you've got great, reputable investors. Tell us about why you selected them and how they've helped you along the way. So we selected them basically based on personality. I believe that bringing someone 
to your cap table with substantial holdings is a person that you should have the same fundamental relationships with as the one you have with other peers that you're cooperating. So it's always worth personality. We're always worth people that you enjoy chatting with. You can talk about different aspects and you'll get great answers and they would give you different perspectives, but it's always, how can I help? How can I assist? And let's think about this. Let's, let's think about that. So it's always the people. The hand that gives you the check is more important than the amount that says on the check. So that's my playbook. And how they were assistants? Well, I would have to say everything we needed, but if I'll have to give you some highlights, attracting talents, helping us generate pipeline, connecting us with companies or leaders that there was no way we can achieve this so fast by ourselves. And amazing partners to brainstorming. Excellent. Curious, at this stage, what do you find most challenging? It seems like with the rate you're growing, the problems you face probably change from day to day or from week to week. What do you find most challenging? The most challenging aspect I would believe in any company is to maintain talent density. The required talents and skill sets are changing at the company scales. And to make sure that you always have the needed talent density for the mission that you are about to start, that's the key element. To make sure you have all the right tools in your toolbox, that the people that brought you here are the right people to take you there. If they're not, what needs to be changed in order for us to take them with us? Or maybe they require additional coaching. So you bring someone else that is more experienced. How to make sure that the person that is potentially more experienced actually is the right person to grow the team to the next level. This is actually a very tricky part. This is where culture comes into play. Mm -hmm. Do you find that the talent that you bring on, is it all over the world? Are you primarily recruiting from Israel? And how do you go about retaining the talent as well? So in regards to bringing talent, we have three offices. Uh, we have an office in Israel. We have an office in Ukraine. And we have an office in the Bay Area. So we believe that your origin is less relevant. What matters is the personality and what you bring to the table. In regards to retaining talent, we're strong believers in internal growth. So if we identify talent, we want to make sure that that talent can grow and scale with the company, making sure that first, where do you see yourself in three years? How can we help you get there rather than the company needs you to be there? So let's go. No, it would not work. It's not scalable. It's not sustainable. Rather than where do you feel best? Do I believe you can achieve that? And if not, I'll have to share my feedback. Well, I'm not sure that's the right direction. Let, let me show you what I think. If you still believe that's the right direction, let's give it a try. I'm with you. Because at the end of the day, what makes and breaks companies are talents, our culture. And your best partners will help you solve the most complex problems. That's the collective genius element. And it sounds like you're mostly in person at your offices. Is that correct? Or do you have also a fair amount that are remote or hybrid? By definition, we're a hybrid company. I would say we're currently between 40 to 60% at, at office. It's relevant to the site. Let's say in Ukraine, it's 100% remote. 
in the Bay Area, I would say it's, I think it's around 40%, and in Israel, it's around 60%. But the value of the office is if you strongly feel that you can perform 100% great remotely, go. I'm not sure it's a great aspect for you not to be part of the team because a lot of the things you can create in a face-to-face meeting, Zoom would not pass. It would not pass the synergy. It would not pass the energy. It would not enable a brainstorming session that's happening over coffee. And a lot of the things are missed out while remote. With that being said, a lot of the capability of us to focus on our tasks and our missions and actually get ticks on the boxes, you just need some quiet and you don't want to commute. So to have the balance, it's one of the elements of trust. So we trust that we can build the right balance with our peers and to make sure that we'll we'll build something that works both for the individual and for the company. Got it. We're coming up on time, so I'd like to head into the last segment of our conversation. I've got a couple last questions. One is, can you tell us about a book or a movie, or it could even just be something that had a great impact on you in the way you think about the world, your business, life, et cetera? I would have to take my grandpa, for example. He inspired to be a nuclear scientist. Growing up in the Soviet Union, he couldn't because of his origin. And he believes that nuclear energy is a clean energy that, if used properly, can actually help us to build something sustainable. And this kind of inspired me to constantly think about not next week, next month, but let's think about the next generation. And it sticks with me. (laughs) That's fantastic. That was actually probably the answer to my last question, which was, could you tell us about someone you admire? It could be across any domain or, or field of expertise. We can end it like that because it's a great answer. Or you could mention someone no, else. I would stick with him because, you know, growing up in a very limiting country in the Soviet Union where you are labeled because you are from a certain origin and you are prevented to achieve this or that opportunity. And still, despite being prevented of all that, you are still going and winning and you're not giving yourself slack and you're not compromising. This is the best I can be. This is my limits. I would go within my limits and be the best I can be. This is something that sticks with me. Excellent. Well, Maxime, I want to thank you so much again for taking the time. It's been a delight to chat with you, and I know our audience will find this very insightful. RJ, thank you so much for having me.